this thing on? If you like rock music, punk, metal, or blues, then you've come to the right place because we like it too. It's soundcheck. Hello! <laughs> and welcome to Soundcheck, the first, best, and only music podcast. I'm your host, Ben Ackley. Take a big, gross bite of that burger. That's your And drink. I'm having lunch along with Michael and Brody. New host, Brody Britton. Yeah. Old host, Michael Livingston. New full-time host, me. <laughs> Should we should we give like a a, a a nod to Andrew? Yeah. So Andrew, if you're listening right now, we love you. We miss you. And look what has happened. I, I didn't know if this was gonna be like season three of Parks and Rec, where like Andrew leaves, just like Mark, and like no one remembers. No one him. remembers him. No one acknowledges it. But obviously, the great patriarch of the podcast is long gone. He's now several miles away, um, and we miss him dearly. Now the show's off the rails. And now the show is officially off the rails. Oh, nice. There is no straight man anymore. No. It's just three wild and crazy guys. <laughs> <laughs> Brody, who are you? Where do you come from? You've been on this show I've before. I've been on the show a couple times. Uh, I was on the, the emo episode, which I will admit was one of my more scattered brain moments. <laughs> I was I was way over all over the map on that one. Uh but then last year I was on the what, one of the music in the mitten ones, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, I've been here before. You know, um, I, I'd say no, Michael and Ben. Okay, Lee, we only live together. Yeah. Yeah, that is something to address. Is don't worry about COVID concerns, folks, because we all live together anyway. So. Yeah, we're all sitting on the same couch watching anime every night. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> No worries. Just absolutely drowning. Yeah. And this, honestly, we were talking about it before we started. The show really feels completely rudderless now that Andrew's gone. It will be off the rails every time. It will become more and more unlistenable until it's just us screaming for 15 minutes. (laughs) Yeah, if 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 we, it's gonna turn into just the conversation beforehand, <laughs> and just wait till we get a soundboard. Oh yes, oh yes, and and then you'll have Andrew coming back in mm-hmm. the forms of his quips and and dialogue and clips. Yeah, we do have a theme for this episode. We have a though. theme for this episode. Is there any housekeeping we need to take care of beforehand? I Honestly, I don't care anymore. <laughs> we do have a Twitter. <laughs> Um, hopefully we use it at some point. We'll, we'll at least like post the episode playlists and stuff. Yes, yes. Um, so you can check that out. We, we do have a theme for this episode. Uh, if you want to get into it, Michael. Yeah. Well, we ended last season, Andrew's last episode with album closers. It's a new dawn for this show. So we figured why not go to to, and restart the album, with some album openers. Yeah. The best are favorites, not, not any objective, Mm-mm. Stuff going on here. We're just just pick some good album openers. No, of- and I I went with a few. Like I I sort of came up with my own little criteria for stuff mm-hmm. that we can get into. But I really feel like we should be doing more <laughs> at the top here. Yeah. Is there anything else? Well, I guess we can kind of 
go around the table and say, you know, what do we think makes a good album opener? When you think of your favorite albums of all time, what do they do in that department that makes them so memorable to you? Yeah, for me, I think it just needs to set the table. You know, it doesn't necessarily have to be the all-time best song on the album. It doesn't have to be a completely amazing track. It doesn't even need to necessarily be long. It just needs to set the table and set the tone. So like with my first pick, uh, which is from The Replacements, when we get there, that is not a great song, but it's definitely a song that sets the irreverent tone for the entire album so that that for me is just you need to find something that sets the tone i think i think i like i think you should like think of it almost like um like uh the first paragraph of an essay Mm. where you kind of like you know you have your topic sentence and then you kind of list out the points you're going to be going through the essay so like i feel like it should be almost like a nice um culmination or culmination i don't know uh, of all the stuff you're going to be seeing in the album, whether that's lyrically, musically, uh, thematically, so on and so forth. Just to cap on that, I think an opening track to an album can also be a band's sort of uh, extra on maybe a self-titled album or something like that. I should hear not only what the album's going to present to me, but what does the band as a whole encapsulate? What's their personalities? You know, you hear some albums start with like funny bits or something like clips of sound what what's the band's sense of humor like what do they find important what kind of songs are they writing and is going to be presented on the rest of the piece i think that's also pretty important as well just like giving us a like brody said a a thesis statement right yeah Yeah. it doesn't even necessarily need to be a song at all no lots of albums start with skits like de la soul's three feet high and rising is a great example Mm. Or even even the recent uh, Donda just starts with a woman saying Donda. Indeed. <laughs> yeah. So it, it can really be anything. Yeah. Speaking of that, let's um stop this episode and let Brody give his 25-minute review of Donda. <laughs> yeah, this was actually a Trojan horse. This was the whole point of the episode. <laughs> God. I just keep taking gross bites of that burger, man. Yeah. I'm really enjoying my lunch, folks. Mm-hmm. It adds to the nice, like, ambience. Yeah. Crunching and paper sounds. Okay. I think we can just get into it. Yeah. All right. Fuck You're... it. We're not restarting. No. Go. <laughs> All right. So my first track is probably from definitely in my top three albums of all time. Uh, one of my favorite artists, uh, The Float On Guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, Modest Mouse off uh, their album, The Lonesome Crowded West. The opening track is Teeth Like God's Shoe Shine. Um, and I think what it does well is that. Um... <laughs> From the top of the ocean, yeah. So yeah, that was uh, or that was Teeth Like God Shoe Shine, um, one of my favorites. Uh, so why I think it's a good opening track. Um, so a lot of the album's themes deal with kind of um, 
the isolation of rural life and then also simultaneously uh, the, the industrialization of the rural landscape. Um, so uh, he, uh, Isaac Brock comes from uh, a very, um, I guess, rural part of Washington uh, state. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he was noticing all the all the like forests and stuff he grew up in were being replaced with like malls and stuff like that, and it really made him upset. And so what I think this this does well is that it talks a lot about um, his fears with it, as one of the one of the lyrics is actually where, where I think it's really um, almost prophetic in a way is that uh, he talks about the malls are the soon to be ghost towns. So a lot of it actually talks about how the internet will replace the malls, which is like really interesting for 1997. Mm-hmm. Um, and also it, uh, the opening lines are from atop the ocean, from the bottom of the sky, when I get claustrophobic, I can. So it's about like how even because of all this um, industrialization, even going outside, he feels claustrophobic and like it's pressing down. So I think it really establishes the themes. And then because it's such a long song, it has a lot of movements or different parts to it. So it has the very blisteringly like jagged staccato riffs at the beginning um, that are very reminiscent of stuff like the Pixies that are like almost this, this twangy noise. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then it has kind of the slower parts um, after that um, where it's it's clean and then it gets back. And it's so it kind of just prepares the audience for, hey, there's, a, there's quite a few long songs out in there. It prepares them for the sound they're going to, the sonic journey they're going to take place and also the thematic and lyrical journey. Right. And I was thinking, especially in that first part, I was really getting some Beastie Boys vibes from the vocals. Oh, sure. Yeah, I can see that. The, the bombastic attitude of it, I can see that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really cool. And it's definitely not like, I think Modest Mouse is a journey that I need to take. And I think it just might be a journey that we all take mm. on this season of Soundcheck. Foreshadowing question mark? Indeed, indeed. But. I, the band I get most of all, and I think this link is pretty obvious, is the, the slint sort of vibes from it too oh, yeah. you know when you get those um harmonics get the put harmonics, in there yeah. to transition into the next movement mm-hmm. i think that is definitely reminiscent of slint i gotta ask as someone who's been a fan of modest mouse for a while it does it ever disappoint you that you know float on is kind of the one that they're memorized for when they have this like beautiful you know multi-movement track that is also just great to jam to as well like it, it, if you could, would you replace this song with something like Float On or something like oh, that? Oh, no, no, not at all. I think Float On is a great track. Um, I think for a, basically for a, a pop song in 2004, 2005, mm-hmm. I think it's really weird for a popular song. I think it's really lyrically dense for a popular song. And the element comes off of, well, uh, it is a lot cleaner than their earlier stuff, uh, Good News for People Who Love Bad News. Um, I think they had a very, at least for that album, they had a very smooth and uh, clean transition into a more uh, cleaned up sound without sacrificing a lot of their fans' or artistic integrity. So while I would love people to explore one of my favorite albums, Little Some Credit West, if you just like Float On, Float On is a great song. So really keep, is. Keep, keep on it. It is. Super fun on Rock Band, too. Yes, yes, it is. <laughs> rock Band episode coming soon. Yes. <laughs> Where we will play Rock Band for an hour. And, and get uh, D and get our video <clears throat> taken down for copyright claims. And immediately get taken down for a copyright claim. Okay. Yeah. All right, if, Burger Man. If that's that, I will put the burger down <laughs> for a bit here and talk about my 
opening track. Um, this is from Hootenanny, The Replacements, 1983. I guess it's an album that kind of reads a little bit more like a mini LP. Irreverent, fun, catchy. Uh, they still have some of their kind of hardcore punky roots on this one. Um, this but, is like the one right before Let It Be, right? Yes. But okay. the way that... So this is like the last of the super independent sounding replacement stuff. Mm-hmm. This was my favorite album of theirs for a long time. It probably isn't now. It's kind of a weird pick. But um, it, it starts off in a very irreverent way that really... It, it's within the, the tone of the replacements. Um, so this is Hootenanny in E. Hootenanny in E. a probably apocryphal story um, about a DJ in the replacements home state getting that album being excited about being able to play the new replacements release live on air and that's the first track and they pull it off the record player and throw it against the wall (laughs) (laughs) yeah that song is very reminiscent of this little indie man I know called Kindness Texas yeah Yeah, they have a hidden track called Shit Blues (laughs) it's kind of close to that (laughs) it definitely seems like that was an inspiration but Hootenanny is a funny song because it really the replacements (laughs) (laughs) the burgers were a mistake the replacements were really a band that uh, were famous for shooting themselves in the foot. You know, they go on SNL and they get completely wasted and are swearing on the show and that episode is banned and they're banned from the show forever. Yeah. And they kind of play like shit, the second song especially. Um, so with a, a band with a history of just getting completely wasted, sometimes giving a great show, sometimes barely giving a show at all, it makes a lot of sense for the first track on their new release to be a joke where they all switch instruments um, and just kind of stumble through a song for a, two minutes, you know? Yeah. I, I just looked up other albums that came out in 1983 to kind of get some contemporary perspective here. You had War by U2, Murmur by R.E.M., mm-hmm. Synchronicity, Speaking in Tongues. You know, these are all albums that are kind of known for their ambitious jumping, you know, production methods, or they had this sort of unique personality to them. But then you get this album, I imagine that came out in the middle of it. Someone picks it up from the record store and they hear that first song and they're like, all right, what, the, what, what am I getting into? Right, here? and you can tell right from the cover. I'm, this cover, I, I've i seen the album that it's based off of. It's basically a ripoff of like a some like big band album or something. Like it, it, it clearly looks rooted in the past and then 
even in the production styles, like you're not really getting that crazy 80s production on anything. It's all pretty raw. Yeah. Um, there's a Mr. Worley is like a weird parody of a Beatles song. Um, there, there's just Treatment Bound is a great, that's cassette recorded, that's lo-fi. Um, but there's there, there are some really great songs in here, but then there's stuff like Love Lines where he's reading out of the classified sections from like the porno hookup ads in the back of the newspaper <laughs> over an instrumental and... Like, it's just, it's a it's a super irreverent album, and having an opening track that's just a complete, th- like, throwaway and just a total joke. But this is what I'm talking about, you know, when I first mentioned about album openers showing the band's sense of humor, the band's personality. Um, yeah, if the replacements are known for being this band that likes to shoot themselves in a foot and keep themselves actively away from you know, being noticed by the general public, then yeah, I can pick that up in this first track. Yeah, I was I was going to go off of both of you, son, and just like this is very emblematic of the replacements who are definitely a band who uh, just fell up in their career. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah they, they should have been a lot bigger than they were, but they were just not willing to play the game. One of my favorite replacements things is for their big album, Tim, the label really wanted some music videos. Mm-hmm. And then they had music videos that were played on MTV a few times that were just like a video of a speaker for three minutes or like a video <laughs> of someone's foot for three minutes. <laughs> and that was the music video. And so it's like a really arty kind of uh, irreverence in a way mm-hmm. Whether when they're also just like shitheads who really like getting getting wasted (laughs) doing whatever putting on a horrible show and what a uh first track to kind of show us that personality right yeah i think we can get to your first pick michael sure um it's actually the second time i've brought this on the show before uh this artist uh put together a fairly abrasive blend of emo noise and pop on this uh debut album here called come in the artist goes by Weather Day, but the average Bandcamp enjoyer will know them as Sputnik. Um, <laughs> they're, it's a one-man recording project out of Sweden mm-hmm. that sort of appears and disappears, much like you know King Cruel and somebody that kind of pops their head out in the music scene and then dips back under. This title track opens the album, and let me be the first to say, headphones warning for uh, people <laughs> listening out there. This album is lo-fi as hell, but the amount of talent that this person uh, can encapsulate is just insane. Um, Listen to like the guitar tapping and the effects on the vocals and just the raw emotion and and let the noise take you. Come in.
Yeah, that came out in 2019, and to this day, it still kind of like blows me away. You know, a few years later, because it's just like, you know, you you hear that song and you think like the whole album is gonna kind of kind of be like this energetic blast of you know noise and lo-fi and stuff, but you get into it and you start to hear this like you start to hear like string arrangements and piano and like you know horns even i think in some songs and it's just like it's crazy the amount of like layering and like you can tell this is like songs that this person throw through together but there was sort of some thought in it and maybe even like a notion where it's like how far can i go you know with the 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 layering and the different instruments on this album why it's a good album opener to me though is just because it just blasts you in it's not really like what i was trying to say earlier where it's like oh it's showing the band or it's showing what the album's supposed to be sometimes you just need what brody said like an interesting like hook lead in you know what i mean like kind of in that first if we're talking about writing an essay or an article or something you know you need something that just grabs someone and sucks them in and i think this song does that for me right definitely i mean so that's actually something i wanted to ask you about is like the way that you said it earlier, this song is kind of not totally emblematic of the album. Mm -hmm. So how does that serve the album, having this be the opener? Like I said, in in this case specifically, it it wouldn't be so far to take away from like a skit or something at the beginning of an album or like a a vocal recording or something because it's the the song itself is only you know just over a minute i think right and it's and and it's just meant to just grab you and get you hyped and stuff like that and yes there is other songs that like are a little more jammy you know you can definitely you know throw a mosh pit to them but like um at the same time i think this artist was trying to say i want to grab you in because in the age of the internet, when this came out, it's hard to grab someone's attention right away, you know? So let me grab your attention. Let me um, pull you in, give you a couple songs that'll make you, you know, get those endorphins up. And then I'll show you my artistic ability. Well, maybe it's like, because uh, I think you can tell it's very lo-fi, especially when the vocals hit. Because I think you relate to me that they um, recorded it through like their... Yeah, wasn't this recorded on like an earbud microphone? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's this this one is super lo-fi, and maybe it's like um, you know when like you're at a hotel, right? And you go into the hot tub, and then you go into the pool, and it's like super cold. <laughs> mm-hmm. I guess. So, I guess like when you go back into the hot tub, it feels better. I guess when I'm basically when I'm trying to analogize poorly, is that um, maybe it gives you this huge blast of lo-fi at the beginning. So, so maybe all the rest of the stuff doesn't feel as abrasive, and it mm-hmm. kind of it kind of gives you this this I guess throwing you right into the deep end to yeah. keep with the pool analogy. <laughs> I like that. I, I like that as well. I think it is kind of just like if you want to, if this artist wants you to know who they are, then why not just give you every every piece of thing that could deter someone, and then if you're still sticking around after that minute thirty seconds you're bound to like the rest of the album, which I certainly did. Yeah, it's it's almost like a content warning in song. (laughs) So I I (laughs) think like a lot of our openers, I think it serves uh, a couple purposes. 
Yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a strategic placement, I would say, just yeah. to get people, you know, this is as crazy as, as it's going to get if you can't handle this, get out now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then they can yeah. be rewarded by the rest of the stuff if they're cool with that. The cool thing, uh, last little tidbit I'll add on this song, is it kind of pulls a Nonagon Infinity at the very end. Oh, it is it kinda, a loop? Yeah, it comes mm-hmm. back to the loop. It's pretty That's cool. very cool. Yeah. But anyway, I think, Ben, you are, are, we're going back around the loop. We're going back around the loop oh. to Brody. All right. Oh, right. <laughs> Death Cab Uni. Okay. Um, so my next track uh, is by another Washington band, actually, mm-hmm. um, except far, 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 far less abrasive um, and far, far, far uh, less concerned with malls and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, this the the band as uh, Ben alluded to a second ago the band named after the song uh, the band in Magical Mystery Tour movie sings mm-hmm. uh, Death Cab for Cutie with their song title track off their 2000 album We Have the Facts and we're voting yes Hey let's get a quick shout out to Ben Gibbard real quick before we play the song yes. Yeah All right <laughs> Yeah, so that was title track by Death Cab for Cutie. Um, uh, I think maybe the title might be a bit pretentious, or maybe it might be kind of uh, a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek thing of this title is really long, (laughs) (laughs) so we don't want to write the whole thing. (laughs) Um, But, you know, it also could be emblematic that, like like I've said about my theory with uh, opening tracks, that this is like a, a thesis statement for the track, and which I think it very much is. So the um, the album we have the facts and we're voting yes is it's very much a loose concept album that follows a, an equally as loose story um, about uh, a a failed relationship Ben Gibbard had um, so it kind of sets up the story of it all um, talking about uh, how he um, he and his friend had um, gotten together maybe far too soon and. Uh, 
uh, only for the wrong reasons at the wrong time uh, and kind of ruined something that could have been um, a good relationship, mm. um, if not for the reasons and time. So I think... I think it's. It, I think it established that really well. And also, what I think it does, and why I, I had you wait a little longer, is that it, it kind of in the after the first chorus has this jump to hi-fi, which I think is also pretty cool because not that they were like weather day <laughs> lo-fi yeah, yeah, before, yeah. but um, the the their demo tape you can play these songs with chords and something about airplanes definitely had like this this edge to them yeah so it's almost like halfway through at least for the fans at the time you know expecting this kind of this kind of rough sound and then in the middle it's like oh here's the new death cab for cutie as they introduce you know xylophones in the chorus and like they have synths later in the album Mm -hmm. and stuff like that right so i think it really works to introduce like hey now we have better producers and studio equipment and stuff yeah right so that, I, I like that. It's like a timeline for them. Yeah. So that's, that kind of makes it an album opener that's not only significant in the album, but also mm-hmm. within like the entire discography of the band. Yeah. That is pretty sick. <laughs> I agree. I, my favorite part of that whole thing was the, the the production that went into the drums. Yeah. That, that is like perfect amount of reverb I wanted on like the, mm-hmm. the snare there. And it just accompanies the guitar perfectly. And it just like... It it presents those themes you're talking about about like complex emotions and relationships, but also, yes, I love that transition. That is like I I imagine that is a hard thing to do as well. Right. Going yeah. from that lo-fi to a like a seamless transition into yeah, this. Yeah, it's it's like a, a breath of fresh air just mm-hmm. going into that. You the cymbal crash and the drums just sound so much bigger and mm-hmm. the stereo field is so much wider. They got a new like, lead. It sounds yes, yeah. 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 Just I, yeah. from from like a, a recording engineer perspective, <laughs> mm-hmm. heavy air quotes there. Um, it's it's just really nice to hear that widen out, you know, and just hear like the quality improve so dramatically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if I have a ton of like new things to say that doesn't really apply to my previous track, <clears throat> but right. I think it establishes the loose story and the themes of the album and lyrically like lyrically too i think you can tell that you know ben gibbard's using a lot of lot of 10 cent words <laughs> yeah so he you know he kind of death cab for cutie kind of came with the way the, the way that like elliot smith established of like these kind of literate songwriters so uh house favorite uh david berman uh rest in peace um you know uh bright eyes death cab mm. These guys who feel like they're reading the sources in their songs, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, when but, we started going off on somebody's manuscript, uh, it was kind of like, yeah, yes, <laughs> I gotta grow a goatee to listen to this. <laughs> so, like, I think it also establishes his songwriting for the rest of the album pretty well. Um, so, I just think it's it's one of my favorite albums. I think it's a pretty solid opening track. And yeah, well, speaking of David Berman. And then our next one? Well, speaking of David Berman, oh. I've brought Purple Mountains on this show so many times that <laughs> while we were talking, I just did a late uh, substitution. Oh. So rest <gasps> assured, later in this season, you'll be hearing a lot more about David Berman. Yes. Uh, there might be some sort of interdimensional accident that we get sucked into where we have to talk about <laughs> David Berman for an episode. <laughs> but we'll see. That remains to be seen. Um, what I did do is uh, switch to a bit of lighter fare. Um, I don't feel like talking about David Berman's last album again and being sad again. 
Mm-hmm. Um, first episode. Yeah, I mean, first episode. So first episode, I figured I need something that rocks a little bit more. And what I've been listening to a lot lately, and someone else we might be talking to or talking to or talking about later in the season is Paul McCartney. Uh, I've been listening to his 70s band Wings a lot. And this is the technically first and second track, so it is a bit of a cheat from Venus and Mars. I'm going to play that now and we'll talk a little bit more about it afterwards. What I just noticed listening to that is the the vocals in that chorus really take up a lot of space. It's pretty cool. But so that was Venus and Mars and Rock Show, the opening tracks from the album Venus and Mars. Um, and a few weeks ago, I watched uh, Wings Rock Show, which is their 1976 concert film. And I wanted to bring this one in. I just thought of it because this is a cool opening track that becomes a great live opener. Like, you can tell one of the reasons this was written is because they were like, yeah, this is going to be awesome. You know, they open the show, Mm -hmm. and it's Paul McCartney standing center stage with just a spotlight playing that first Venus and Mars part, and then the rest of the band comes out, and rock show starts, and it's like, you can just hear it in there. I I always think about Kiss with songs like that, because they seem to really plan their set lists perfectly. You know, Mm -hmm. like, they write the songs that will fit in the right spot in their set list, for better or worse. Um, and that's really what this song is. It's, it's something that I think is a great song just to listen to, but live especially 
is just a perfect opener. Now, since you're the Paul McCartney historian, um, wasn't Wings originally meant as just like a means for Paul to get back out and tour? Yeah, Wings. Well, Wings is interesting because Paul did his first two solo albums, highly recommended. Um, and then he he was like, I really want to be in a band again. Mm. And if you look at the first Wings album, Wildlife, you can see that he, he did not want to take center stage. Like, they're all the same size. There's no text on the album or anything. They were just billed as Wings. Yeah. He just wanted to be in a band. And to get out and tour, actually, that first Wings tour, um, they just they all piled on a bus and just like would show up in towns so they'd go and they'd be like hey is there like a bar we can play at they'd show up in college towns and just like start playing shows for regular price or free just like wherever Hmm. you know so it was definitely he just wanted yeah he wanted that excuse to be in a band again and he wanted that excuse to get back out on the road yeah it kind of reminds me of uh you, you guys ever seen that scene in school of rock where jack black is like He's describing what the song he's coming up <laughs> yeah. with on the fly yes. will look like as he's, you know, trying to put it together. And right. he's like, the the fog is going to come in around my ankles. Like, that's what I imagine Paul was like as he was writing the song is like, yes, this is what we're going to open the show with. This is what's going to get everyone excited. This is what is going to be that, like, killer rock show that I've been wanting to play right. since the Beatles broke up, you know? Well, yeah, and that's, that's an, a really interesting thing about paul and one of the reasons he's my favorite beetle beetles debate coming soon yes finally actually hopefully is um he really he had a lot to say for just like simple rock and roll theatrics like he wasn't totally over the top with like huge pink floyd level shows but he just knew what a good show was and what a good light display was and it wasn't like it wasn't as raw as something like that Lennon would do per se, but it was just like a, like he just knew how to put on a good show, you know, and you can hear that in this song and this album as a whole, honestly. But I love every wings album. I think it's really cool. Seventies rock. I really like, uh, the one after this speed of sound. Um, because I think every band member has a lead vocal on that. And that really, that's kind of the thesis statement for what Paul wanted to do with this band from the very beginning. Yeah. Brody's given the uh, approving face where he puts his, you know, the corners of his lips down. He's like, yeah, I, yeah. I, I get you. Yeah. I get you. Everyone approves. I talked about Paul for five minutes, and now we can move on. <laughs> All right. So we're coming back to me, right? Yes, yes. Okay. So, um, you know, we, we kind of uh, alluded since this rock podcast is more of a music podcast this season, um, you'll start to see us slip in some hip-hop here and there. And uh, this duo I got here is the one I attribute to getting me into rap and hip-hop along with people like Tyler, Kendrick, and stuff like that. Um, I was first given Blue and Exile's first collab um, album in the summer of 2018 by my old manager when I used to work at a Jets. Hell yeah, shout out to him again. Shout out to Canyon. Uh, That album is called Give Me Flowers While I Can Still Smell Them. Um, Exile is usually bringing some sparkly ethereal mixing which is accompanied by blues just amazing lyricism um he even says in this in this song he's like best lyricist underground and i kind of you know i can totally agree with that so if you don't mind me asking a question yeah i don't know much about this group is exile like the beat guy he is the beat guy okay so it's like dj jazzy jeff and the fresh prince i feel like that's an equal (laughs) comparison it's like it's like lp to you know uh e killer mike well, LP also does rap, though. Single? Yeah. 
What? Ten inch. Okay. You know what? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, this uh, blues lyricism, it often touches on, you know, love. Wait. I thought we were talking about rap. We're talking about the blues now? No. <laughs> <laughs> Just play a fucking song. <laughs> She fell into the I said you will be like El Bug, but more hood like Ice T, and that's cool. Like Miles Davis walked in a room and redefined the groove to find jazz. The mood turn like the note I wrote to the boat I float with no ledge, so know the ledge. Knowledge and longevity, loyalty and leadership. Don't let that long list get you. Like Porter said's album cover picture, a top shelf like blue label liquor. I'm just a light skinned nigga, my nigga. I don't see the glass half full, I see the whole picture. And my blue like the lady. The blues are like BB King and Muddy Water singing the blues. Billy Jean and Blue Jean singing the blues are like anything for the youth for singing the blues. Now write like Langston Jews. Every album out pouring out the gangster blues. Abraham Lincoln. See, I told you it was about the blues. <laughs> well, that song was actually called Blues, spelt with an E this time. So, but yeah, that tra- opening track is off their 2020 comeback album called Miles. And, uh, you know, you'll be able to hear how the production um, is intentionally fine-tuned to emphasize the only the most impactful words and phrases right. that Blue says, and it's it's just you know the song touches on social justice, childhood mo- memories, um, you know, shifting emotions, and and it's all done with this personification brought in through those samples from the Legend of Zelda: Ocarina of Time, which I think is kind of a cool nod. But yeah, the, you you hear the voice of navi from that game saying like blue red green yellow and it's like each time they the the sample comes in it sort of shifts and he he goes to a different topic and it's so just like seamless there's this one part in the middle where it's just like you know it's going from blue red green yellow and it's like oh it's so good and it's so clever too and it's just a great way to open a track and give us everything that we've known this collaboration to be um, but also just you know giving us something more to expect. This album is super long, by the way. It's like it's like twenty tracks or something. It's like everything that a Blue and Exile fan wanted after like three years without any new music. It, yeah. it was crazy. But um, I don't know. What do you guys think? I brought this on for Andrew's hip hop episode, but we didn't bring it. It didn't make it to the final listing. Right. But I think you both have heard this before. No, I heard this, I think, right when you first heard it. You, you sent it to me mm-hmm. when it came out. And I I really like this song because it's very subtly produced. Like the vocal is just put right up front mm-hmm. and the, the beat is back enough and sparse enough that that's where all your focus goes and obviously lyrics are important in hip-hop but with this where it's almost the equivalent of like a guy in an acoustic guitar where you just there's that voice and you and the lyrics and you just have to focus on it you know where like a lot of times you could get a you like you could get really busy impressive sample heavy beats and that's going to pull your focus away from the lyric and this just this whole mix really makes it clear what what you should be listening to you know yeah yeah i mean i i kind of i kind of agree uh with all you, all you guys are saying i mean I, I guess i just don't have anything new to contribute to the conversation but <laughs> yeah it's a good track um i like 
all the references he made from like Miles Davis with Kind of Blue and uh, Portishead's um, Dummy album. Like I feel like those are some pretty uh, not obscure references, but I think it I think it takes someone with a talented mind to connect all those with color. So yeah, and it's cool that you kind of get to hear his influences in the first opening track. So you know, uh, a person that. maybe this is a new venture for them, you know, they can kind of go in and connect those dots. Right. You know what you're getting into. It's it's almost like an acknowledgments list right up top, you know, all of his influences, even at the end of the song, he, you know, kind of um, dedicates it to his mom. And it's just, it's very emotional song and very, very cool. Very impactful. I have noticed with a lot of like hip hop albums I listen to, I can't name any off the top of my head. So I guess I'm not good with the citations but i have noticed that with a lot of um hip-hop albums they do kind of start with a very lyrically dense song so as to kind of probably get the um audience into the person's flow and lyrical style so i think it also does that pretty well it establishes the point of view of the speaker too yes yeah it's just a a really good opener all around and speaking of good opening tracks (laughs) Brody, would you like to talk about a little band that starts with the letter K next? Yes. Crazy Frog. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about that. Uh, this is the band called uh, I'm Doing the Kinks, uh, a band not, I don't think, appropriately appreciated Agreed. in the States. Uh, probably maybe too overappreciated in the UK, but uh, in the States, no, not pr- possible. Pretty, pretty underappreciated aside from their two big hits. Uh, so this is off their 1969 album, uh, Arthur. Can you do it all without reading? Parenthetical or the decline and fall of the British Empire? Five points. <laughs> <laughs> one of my one of my personal favorite albums, um, and I kind of understand why the Kinks didn't get popular. I mean, this album isn't like a lot of the Beatles stuff coming out of the time where it's like. It's almost like, you know, they're experimenting and stuff. But I think what the Kinks do well with this is that they have, I think the production, while not like super unique, is mm-hmm. really clean for 1969. Yes. And um, and just the lyrics on this are just so interesting, especially for 1969. Now, while you had um, people like the Beatles evolving lyrics as well as with the sound, I mean, they were still at their core writing love songs. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think just to hear this super interesting lyrical take. And so uh, this this song kind of, I think, establishes a lot of the ideas in this album. So take a little listen. This is Victoria. Sex was bad, called obscene, and the rich 
A great track. I know it's weird because it's an opening track, uh, but if I was ever a director, I would love to use that as a closing uh, end credit song. Yeah. Um, but so uh, the album, well, it has a weird origin of why it was written. Uh, the uh, One of the lead songwriters and vocalist, Ray Davies, was mad that his, his sister's husband was taking her to Australia. <laughs> so then that culminated with him being really mad at simultaneously Australia and the British government. <laughs> so it's kind of a weird origin. But I think in that you kind of hear this this kind of sarcastic criticism towards the British government that he has and will be established throughout the, right. um, the uh, rest of the album. And I think it's also interesting because at least in the States... Um, like I think we all kind of attribute, especially with the Kinks' two big hits of the Kinks, like oh, they they help start stuff like garage rock and proto punk and kind of proto metal with those big chunky riffs, right. distorted riffs. But really, anything past their first two albums really sounds nothing like that. Besides for maybe some select songs off albums, as they kind of. Uh, shift for their focus to more kind of traditional R and B sounding stuff. Right. I mean, that that hard rock kind of goes away until maybe the end of the seventies. Yeah. Know, for them. So I think I think just like a lot of my tracks, I think um, it establishes just the the themes and the ideas of the album that'll be explored. And I just you know I can't you know it's kind of I guess a a, a superficial thing, but just that hook is just so catchy. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I when I first heard that song, I probably listened to it like every day for a month. It's just so Me catchy, too, yeah. um, and I just think it's just a killer song, and and yeah, I just, I, it just kind of just like uh, Michael's last one. It's just just a solid track. Well, let's let's talk about how the instrumentation is on this song specifically because you know at first listen you kind of your brain gets a little tricked because you think all right i've heard this kind of before it's that sparkly 60s production that we've heard from the beatles and you know company but you listen to it a second and third time and you hear these really rich Mm -hmm. um sort of modern sounding guitar leads underneath the chorus there and you think wow this is almost like 80s this is almost like johnny marr kind of playing like smith's Mm -hmm. kind of stuff you know and it's like you can tell like not only is this song awesome because of the lyrics and the backstory, but because they're doing stuff that's kind of ahead of their time. Definitely. And those two conflicting leads in that first part yeah. that are running down each channel. Oh my God. Like, and this is, listen to pretty much any kink song through like the early eighties and you will kind of get a masterclass in some form of songwriting. Yeah. Like, they're really masterful songwriters and just having Ray like put on that voice and kind of sing in his lower register for, yeah. for the verses. And then the chorus just opens wide up. You hear his familiar like octave higher regular singing voice and just the, the harmonies all around. And like, man, I mean this, this song also <laughs> is kind of, it, 
it's it's a really good example of why the kinks didn't make it in america because <laughs> if i dare you to find something more british than this mm-hmm. yeah the, i guess kind of like they're compared blur is compared to them a lot and i think because i think they as ben said they didn't make it in america because they were just so unapologetically british <laughs> <laughs> right there's there's just a if you you can listen to the Beatles and you aren't really getting the accents and they're mm-hmm. singing for the most part and you they're they're writing just kind of universal stuff you know yeah like their music can be interpreted and reinterpreted by artists all over the world and it can ring true over and over again but the Kinks if you hear a Kinks song lots of times yeah and even with the Beatles like even stuff like Glass Onion that's just like nonsense words you can put your own meaning to it well I think the kinks not that, that, that not that one is better than the other uh, just they're very clear in what they're trying to say definitely very to the point songwriting and just great production overall mm-hmm. and, and speaking of great production we can move on to my next don't I, you are gotta, you serious <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta segue somehow Wait, are you are you making a face at this song? A little bit because okay. are you're not giving us any more switch ups, are you? No, this is not a switch up. Okay, okay. So this uh, is going to be annoying to a lot of people, I I think. Um, this is the Roaches who scored a minor hit with Hammond's song in the seventies. This is produced by Robert Fripp, famously of Frippertronics. And uh, King Crimson, a little known band, little known, little known yeah. guitarist Robert Fripp, um, also famous for I think he did the leads on Heroes. Yes, he helped a lot with um, uh, David Bowie's Berlin trilogy, especially with the um, uh, no, not atmospheric. What is it? Ambient, Ambient stuff. Yeah. So, so not only a famous guitarist and famous musician, but also a pretty famous and well-known producer. Yeah. Interesting that that producer would choose to work with a trio of sisters, specifically the Roach sisters, on their first and second albums. This is a cut, the first cut from their first album, The Roaches. I'll just play it, and we'll talk about it afterwards. This song's called We. We are Maggie and Terry and Suzzy. So I don't know if that song is necessarily emblematic of 
the album, but it's definitely one of the most memorable album openers I've ever heard. Um, and honestly, I'm getting such a stink eye from Michael over this that I'm going to play another Roaches song to defend them. (laughs) But the Roaches are a trio of sisters, and I guarantee you, if you hear any of their songs, you will know it's them, and you will never be able to hear that song in a different way. They have uncoverable songs, because everything is sung in that sort of three-part harmony, and I've never heard anything else like it, and especially when they get... I'll just play the big one. This is going to be Hammond's song, and then we will talk about all this shit. But... When they're produced and when they're singing seriously, it's gorgeous. Here's Hammond's song. I'm the host now. I make the rules. I see how hearing we on its own could be uh, off-putting. Well, I, th- I think I think still it's 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 at least from what you show me with the underneath the moon song, they kind of have a sense of humor, right? And this kind of you know in silly way, and I think and you get you get a good idea of their harmonies and right in we and, and I think I think we also gives a good example of the kind of music that they're coming from too. Is it's kind of like kitschy like barbershop quartetti almost what they're doing on that first song i don't know why it kind of reminds me of the animaniacs yeah like it's it's like old ass shit that they're pulling from you know what do you what do you have to say what do you have to say for yourself (laughs) okay you're you're totally misjudging me here by the way (laughs) i just give you the stink eye because i want you to sometimes (laughs) but (laughs) no i i first heard this song and i'm like yep here we go ben ackley this is this i knew this was gonna come but i mean i this is one of those songs where i couldn't really go further without listening to some of the rest of the record which i did good and i liked it good yes i do and i like how this song is kind of like what we were talking about looping back to the beginning almost like a skit um almost like a here's a humorous way to introduce us our personalities and and what we like to do for fun you know it's like it's a cool way to actually get to know these these girls and it's like um when i hear that other song though i'm like wow this is the amount of talent the range of talent is just insane and of course those three-part harmonies are just beautiful yeah and i i of of all the stuff on my list i could not recommend an album more highly than this one especially the second side they just go between like humor and serious subjects so flawlessly there's always 
there's a very strong poetic voice in the songwriting. <laughs> and I mean, you know, they have songs about like being uncomfortable while riding on a train right next to songs about being the mistress of married men and yeah. how that affects your life, you know, like mm-hmm. it's just really good shit. And if I do, um, interestingly enough, we talked about closing tracks last year. If I have one criticism of this album is that there's a song called quitting time, which is about, you know, it's the end of the day, the sun's set, like it's time for you to leave the office and go back home. Yeah, something like goes like, Clo- <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's the one where it's like closing <laughs> time. <That> yeah. <laughs> yes. But that song is somehow not the last song on the album. It's the second to last. Mm-hmm. Just and like that, the end on Abbey Road. They had to do fucking Her Majesty. <laughs> yeah, on accident. What a bunch of idiots. But no, I mean, it's just a great album. I think, yeah, I, I really like We as an opening track just because it's bizarre. I haven't heard anything else quite like it. And it it's it, 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 it gets you ready for the sillier stuff and then the the more serious like straight laced stuff can kind of come as a surprise. Well, with all that, I think that I think the 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 one guitar is produced interestingly because it's it's like while that could be someone starting and stopping it, it just feels very choppy. Yeah. which is I think is kind of cool. It almost feels like Robert Fripp produced it, right? Mm-hmm. It almost it almost feels like he cut like a little bit off the like the beginning of each part and a little bit at the end right. to give it this choppy feel, and it's great background for it because really the much like uh, Mike the blue song, the focus is on the lyrics and the harmonies, so it's it, it's it's more of just kind of a nice white noise to have in the background. Right, it's so, like here's some sort of percussive element almost to just kind of establish and keep this song rolling yeah you know and it does it's it does a double time speed up like halfway through that's really fun too i just i haven't gotten into them after this first album i bought the first album on a whim uh, on vinyl from like a record store i think here in mount pleasant for like five bucks um it couldn't have been happier honestly i i usually buy stuff on a whim and it's just like you know whatever but that it's a it's a very special album and a seems like a very special group. I will report back on that hopefully sometime this season. See if they're as good as this first one is. But I think we're ready for your penultimate pick, Michael. Yes, this next one I got here is Queens of the Stone Age feel good hit of the summer, which uh, I have definitely turned to Queens of the Stone Age at the start of this school year in order to get myself pumped up for this horrifying new job I have. So. <laughs> Yeah, it, it this have we have we even mentioned that? Do we have on to on the cast, Michael? Do we have to? While the <laughs> while the boss is away, the workers will play. But the <laughs> boss is here and he's Michael Livingston, folks. Yes. Back to the song. <laughs> that I really wanted to show this to Ben specifically because Ben has been uh notable uh sort of metal not hater, but you have your certain right. sex of I metal know what that I you like. Yeah. Yes, you know what you like when it comes to metal. And he loves stoner metal. And oh I love my stoner god, metal, and I love new metal. Yeah, he, <laughs> he loves it when the guitar every note hits and it's a minute to ring out. Yeah. that's Ben's Hell favorite. Yeah. He lo- he's like God. I love how this band's name is like Bong Eater, <laughs> and, <laughs> and the songs name are just like Weed Marijuana Bong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bought I bought a really old turntable that had 16 speed just so i could listen to black sabbath albums even slower (laughs) (laughs) 
But this band, Queens of the Stone Age, is not quite that. Of course, Joss Homme has Caius, his mm-hmm. project, which Sludgy is a little more like stonery. That. Yes. But Queens of the Stone Age, I think, would be a perfect fit for Ben because Homme's voice soars on some of these Queens of the Stone Age records, especially the most recent one. He almost kind of channels Elvis in a way, um, which I think Ben will find really interesting. And this song as a opener specifically had a huge impact on just the the scene when it came out. Um, I pulled up the Wikipedia page because I wanted to tell you guys when... uh, Due to the frequency and blatant nature of the drug references in Feel Good Hit of the Summer, a number of radio stations refused to play it. Walmart initially refused to sell Rated R, the album, unless the song was removed from the album or a warning label placed upon it. Wow. So, you know, it had some it had some resonance when it drops. And yes, the whole song is literally just Tommy naming um, various substances. And, I, and of course, since... You know, Ben is just a blatant substance big, abuser. I big think substance abuser. <laughs> I think we have to we have to play this one for him. So go ahead. Just imagine Elvis doing the oh, nicotine valley. Oh, <laughs> I said, oh, one for the nicotine, two for the valley. Yeah. I don't know, Ben. I want your reaction right away. That's good shit. We're, we're going to get into some Queens of the Stone Age later on in the season. You can get a full spectrum here. But as someone who, you know, when it comes to those heavy, overdriven guitars, um, what do you think of Josh Homme's voice as a contrast? That, that? that hypes me up, and he really does have just like a great, like, just a great down the line voice. Like he's not really screaming or anything, but he has like you can hear the stage presence just in his performance on that song. You know, mm-hmm. like the little stuttering and like the oh and just mm-hmm. shit like that, where it's like this song should be a throwaway, but it's just something about that guitar playing. And the just the little bends and that solo that we had to fade out and like his way of singing it that really makes it stand out. Well, I think I think also the lyrics are good um, because not maybe not they're they're great lyrics, but they're good for the album opener because yeah. I think at least lyrically on that album, there's a lot of songs that are just like them just going full degen yeah <laughs> and just seeming like absolute deplorable people so yeah. i think it does well that when you get into queens of the stone age ben you're gonna find songs especially in the later stuff like um you know off villains and stuff where you're gonna be like yes this is it's almost like playful metal it's yeah. in a way it's like it's like metal for children almost and it's so cool but this album specifically rated r you might have some trouble with i mean 
um, in the fade, tension head, uh, stuff like that, where it gets a little screamy and it's literally like a G- degenerate like dying on the bathroom floor and tension head. I think that's like the the song there. Oh, quick into the pointless too. Yeah, that, where it's kind of like wow, this is like this is like if the downward spiral uh, just like threw away all the allegory and stuff like that and it's like this is really intense but like right still you get these moments of just like brightness where it's like the band is not taking themselves seriously and it's like yeah well let's scare away the parents before we you know get right. into the and rest that, of our that kind of makes it, 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 it this song especially really does excite me because it makes it and just your description of that and talking about like even the downward spiral and spiral and throwing away the allegory like i'm a big of the last two years, especially a big country music fan. And there's not really much going on in terms of metaphor or simile in country music. And if there is, it's very, very clear. Mm-hmm. I like just clear to the point songwriting and I like people who can have fun. So like that, just hearing that song and that's my only introduction to the band so far. It, it really does get me excited because Pearl Jam was like as close as I got. I was like, we're almost there. Like I really love state of love and trust, but just a little sometimes it's just, it's just too serious for me or it's just too this or that. Like, I'd really like to find that perfect, more modern hard rock band. And I think this is a great introduction to their sound because I think uh, another thing that uh, Queens of the Stone Age are famous for is just a homie's guitar tone, like this, yes. this chewy fuzz. Yeah. He has a certain pedal too where it's like it puts sort of like an octave above or something like that. What, what is that called? Mr. Pedal Man. Oh, the octave? The octave fuzz. Yeah, maybe that's what it uh, is. The pedal above? What is the one that make like, it's like the, it's almost like a wah, but... It's, this is when we're dropping half the listenership. Yeah. It goes, yeah, <laughs> it goes higher. What is that called? It's an expression pedal. Sure. <laughs> this is the this is the new segment, Pedal Talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now we have two people who can talk about pedals uh, for 15 minutes per episode. Yeah. We, we got to make up the lost uh, length that we'll lose by not having Andrew here. So yeah. uh, we're, we're going to add Pedal Talk, and we'll add... Uh, We'll do something else about Weezer too. Yeah, <laughs> not, not to mention when I first met you, Ben, when you used to wear your hair in a pompadour, you looked like Josh Homme. That's yeah. who I thought well, you were. So. Uh, spoiler alert: those days may come again. We'll see. Let's hey, let's give a round of applause for hairstyles. Ben's pompadour. Yeah, hairstyles, hair, hairy styles. Let's go to you, Brody. All right, my my last one is triple x you just had to bring something disgusting onto the show <laughs> didn't you triple <laughs> <laughs> uh, x by danny brown detroit rapper off the album get this triple x yeah. <laughs> title track and opening track yeah 30 Chat. So 
so we're just going to fade out early before it gets probably just absolutely revolting. Um, <laughs> Can we also get a, a clarinet solo put in right here? Right yeah. Quick? Yeah, we'll put a quick clarinet solo. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that is Triple X by um, Danny Brown off of Triple X. Um, so I think it's a good opening track. I mean, it has, I think it has this very cinematic production, almost like you're opening to a movie. Um, and while I think it's really interesting about this album, while Danny Brown is not the first person to do alternative, abstract, left field hip hop, I think in 2011, I think it's just like really weird to think about like what that sounded like 10 years ago. Right. Especially in the context of pop music. Yeah. So with the lyrics, I think it does a good job because it covers all the bases Danny is going to cover. Number one, he's going to be very unapologetically revolting <laughs> and explicit. <laughs> and that's kind of the point is that he's kind of taking the the ethos of a lot of hip-hop music at the time of like braggadocious about um, sex, drugs, so on, and just absolutely <laughs> turning it up to 11. It's almost like... Andrew WK's album I Get Wet where like the fact that Andrew WK the fact that the songs are dumb is kind of the point (laughs) so the fact that he's being absolutely just disgusting is kind of the point Uh, so he covers that and he also covers um, a lot of things he's gonna be covering which is him dealing with um, his very uh, harsh upbringing in Detroit um, as well as his substance abuse that he's realizing is not only affecting him, but him and others around him. And also, as well as him coming to terms with his age, as he says in the beginning, 30, it is called Triple X, which if you don't know is the Roman numeral for 30. Um, hey, thanks for that. Let's, let's triple X, the Roman numeral for 30. Shout out to the Romans. <laughs> 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 um, but... Uh, and him just kind of coming to terms with this age that he's like, I want to be a musician, but, you know, I'm getting up there. And luckily, this was his breakout album. Not his first, but it was his the one that got him out there. And so I think just lyrically, it really just sets you up. And not only, his voice is definitely an acquired taste, as it is very, it can come off as super annoying, because it's very high-pitched and nasally, but I think he does a good job using that first because it kind of just, um, it, it just kind of gets it out of the way. Because he does have other voices. He's kind of like uh, Kendrick in that way where he, he does have different vocal ranges he does use. Like that's definitely his higher register. He does mid and even super low. Um, there's this one song called Party All the Time where he's he basically just sounds like a normal person and not like his high pitch register. Um, and also it having the same title name obviously is supposed to be, uh, as we've been kind of coming back to the thesis statement of the album and it ends with a song and the closing track is 30. So it's almost kind of in a way, a circular ending. So I think it's just a good opening track in that sense. Definitely for a, another standout from that, uh, go look up. I will, and don't (laughs) say I didn't warn you (laughs) because that we're, we're not, we're not pulling the punches this season on uh, season seven of Soundcheck, yeah. <laughs> but that might almost be too graphic for this show. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yes. And we're we're three pretty sexual guys. <laughs> we we exude sex appeal. <laughs> yeah, this is basically we're this is this is uh basically the Joe Rogan after show now. We're going to we're going to be edgy, we're going to talk about uh whatever we want. And we're we're constantly assume we're drunk and high all the time. <laughs> <laughs> we're moving on i got nothing to add to danny brown other than send me more songs with him in this register i actually really preferred this yeah he's he's honestly one of detroit's finest very yes easily. if you were to rank like let's let's do eminem big sean uh jay dilla and um and danny brown how would you rank brody subjectively so uh in your, your own opinion. your opinion yeah danny brown jay dilla the rest I don't care about. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, because I got the same opinion. I would agree. I, I do care for the first Eminem album, but, mm. you know. I like select songs. I don't care about Big Sean. Um, now for something completely different. Speaking of country music, this is the album that inspired, hopefully, my first tattoo. We'll see. Ooh. Um, I want to be there for that. Yeah. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll actually show you later, but... Um, this is uh, Terry Allen's Lubbock on Everything, which I assuredly have brought on the show before. Um, in my opinion, my relatively uneducated opinion, the great, the greatest country album of all time, one of the greatest albums of all time, um, just fabulous songwriting, great personality, a really, really distinct voice, especially after only doing two albums, uh, only doing one album before this. Um, Terry Allen is connected to my favorite movie of all time, True Stories, because he contributed a song to the soundtrack, and his wife, Joe Harvey Allen, played The Lying Woman. Um, so seek that out if you haven't heard it. You might have heard this song. It's been famously covered a few times since, but the original is still the best for me. This is Amarillo Highway, and this is for Dave Hickey. I don't know who Dave Hickey is, but if you're listening, Dave, this is for Shout you. out to Dave. Shout out to Dave Hickey. All right, Dave Hickey. Hope you enjoy this one. I think I think it would also just work well as uh, the opening track to a movie as I well. I definitely agree. It's got sort of that it kind of you know with the slide acoustic, it just sort of like welcomes you in. And I think this this song belongs to a special category for me. And I need to make a playlist of stuff. Everyone really appreciates 
you know, like really fast songs to drive to because it's really exciting to drive while listening to some fast music. Mm. I think Amarillo Highway is a really great cruising song. Like if you're on a road trip and you have the cruise control set and you've been going like... Windows down. Yeah, you got the windows down. You've been going like 70 or 75 for a while and that comes on. It's just like a good, like I'm content at this speed. I can just like Mm -hmm. chill out and listen to this and just kind of roll on down the road and I'll get there when I get there, you know? Yeah. And that's really... I mean, this. I have this album on CD in the car, and I, I countless times I've listened to it, and I only got it this summer. I was gonna. Oh, just this summer. So you didn't have this as you went on your road trip adventure um, last year. Last year, I don't. Because I, I was gonna say both of us can kind of relate to that, you know, sort of cruise control style songs with the road trips we've right. been on. And this is actually something I've been searching for since you know some outlaw uh country started appealing appearing in my recommend uh my recommended after yeah. this summer um as i started to try to listen into more of ben's music um i really want to find more of this stuff more mm-hmm. stuff where it's sort of like and, and even the latin inspired stuff too yeah that that's where it really comes together for me this one it's still like i'm still getting over my slide guitar prejudice yeah um i i didn't like it all my life you growing don't like up slide guitar no man uh, that's like the I'm best famous. part of the song i know but and i'm saying i nowadays i'm i'm partial to it it's fine but like uh growing up i absolutely hated it cuz it was tied with country that is right. you know now looked down upon no and it's very like i i always sort of uh, tell me if i'm wrong but i always kind of interpreted you disliking that as it's just like total it's 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 kind of at odds with the kind of stuff you were really into, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like it's just complete mess. Like yeah. you're never going to be perfectly playing a slide part, you know, mm-hmm. like it's going to be different every time. It's all over the map. Like right. you just kind of have to approximate where the chord is. You know, there's not like that technical. I mean, there are definitely technical slide players and pedal steel players, but like it's just not a, it's not an it's 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 more of an art. It's not like something you can right. really perfect and play the same way every time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and maybe that's where the prejudice came from. But this song specifically was very eye opening. And if you could send me more stuff like this, I'd be yeah. greatly I mean, appreciated. I would highly recommend this entire album. There, there. I think it can get a little samey because Terry plays piano on most of it, and he kind of has. It reminds me of Bobby Gentry's first album where he kind of has one setting. Well, his first instrument was piano, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's that's what he mainly plays throughout all of his stuff. But if you seek, just find this album, listen to it. There's just a lot of great lyricism on the whole thing. There's great story songs, but then there's just great silly little songs. Something that really stands out to me, and I've been listening to a lot lately, is Cocktails for Three, which is about... Uh, businessman or just a guy who's been trying to go out and get drinks with a lady for a while. And then this other businessman just keeps showing up and they just keep having like these three person awkward hangouts that he wants to leave. <laughs> and that's like, there's stuff like a uh, and rendezvous USA that has kind of like a French flair. And there's, they're just, he got really great players on all this stuff, but yeah, that as a, that just really sets the table. It's like the most single, friendly kind of song on the album which i think top loading your album with something like that especially if it's a double album like this one can really draw people in like we've been talking about you know having something this friendly and this open can get people ready for maybe some of the more serious topics or the more out there stuff that you have later Mm. but yeah i mean terry allen amazing if you want to see what my tattoo will look like go uh find the cd reissue um and there's a art on the CD 
that is sort of a redraw of the album art, and that's what that's what it is. So nice. go find that. Nice. Now for something very similar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm gonna be real with you, boys. Uh, I kind of threw this in because I wanted a I wanted a little uh, techno representation here, but also. Uh, I wanted something that completely contrasted whether Brody was going uh, last or Ben was going after that. So here's an Aphex Twin song. Here you go. (laughs) That's it. I'll see yesterday that uh, Ivanka Trump has a Spotify and she has a whole playlist or something where it's like Aphex Twin Favorites. What? <laughs> yeah. Aphex and what? She has like a, a couple Aphex Twin songs in her playlist. So oh, now wow. every, every music meme page is being like the average Aphex <laughs> music fan. Yeah. And it's, it's Ivanka Trump. Anyway. I like it. So yeah. what, what is the, is that entire album uh, prepared piano stuff? Uh, a lot of it is, yes, but um, most of it is, this is, the I think, the, in my opinion, the darkest um, album by Richard D. James. And he is definitely, he's going into this album with a lot of emotional distress. And it, I, I actually brought this one in because I want you to... Um, Hopefully someone on here will look up the track that follows this, um, which I can't pronounce, but it's like, it's super insanely fast and it's like so chaotic and pushes you from place to place. And it kind of preludes the album as sort of this manic state um, that I think Richard was in at the time he was making this. So I brought this one in as kind of like what we were talking about at the beginning as like a prelude to the rest of the album. Um, But also, you know, just wanted to throw something in that's a little left field. Um, I'm trying to get into some techno uh, this year. Um, since over the summer, I was definitely more country folk. So, I don't know. Listeners, you might get some more of this shit. I don't know. We're out here season seven. Yeah. Season seven, <laughs> expect the unexpected. We're actually, you can't see us, but we're naked in the studio. We're the veggie. <laughs> yeah. The only thing we're wearing is masks, actually. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think, I must say, I think it's time for the first recommendations section oh. of season seven. Oh, my God. That's our live studio audience. But also, the first recommendation section without Andrew Mullen. Sad clap. Uh, hey, let's give a quick shout out to Andrew Mullen. Quick shout yes. out. Hope you're doing good in Midland, buddy. Hope you're doing well. I'm sure at least you or Bree listened to this whole thing. 
<laughs> I, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> there are more surprises to come this episode, though. You will you will see that. Yeah. Um, Brody, you've been starting us off today. Uh, start us off with, with your recommendation, and please read it aloud to the class. Read it aloud? <laughs> yeah, please, please read the song title or artist name or album title. Every lyric as well, if you can. Yeah. <laughs> so the album uh, is Funky Stuff by um, Japanese jazz musician uh, Jiro um, Ian, Inagaki. I'm sorry, my man. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I thought it was really cool. It showed up in my um, YouTube uh, recommended uh, we love things. YouTube recommendation core out here. Shout out to YouTube recommended. Um, and uh, it, I like funky stuff. It was, it was just called funky stuff. So I was like, oh, this is a match made in heaven. I thought the <laughs> cover was cool. And so it was this um, instrumental jazz funk album from the seventies by a Japanese Japanese musician. I just thought it was really neat. Um, and so yeah, go give it, go go give it a listen. All right, so we're gonna rock with this opening track uh, and it has a name uh, we cannot we're not privy to it so just just seek out this album the shout song. out to uh, only one language speakers yes <laughs> shout out to American idiots yeah <laughs> Rocker's Guide to Jazz coming soon. I was going to say, yeah. Mm-hmm. Jazz episode coming soon. Um, I'm sure Andrew will really appreciate that. <laughs> Speaking of, I, I'm sort of in a similar vein. Definitely less funky, definitely a little older, but still something kind of out of the box. So this is sort of a croonery kind of adult contemporary thing. I can't tell you the name of the singer because the singer's name actually wasn't included on the album. The album uh, is called Love is a Drag. Uh, subtitled for adult listeners only and the sub subtitle is sultry stylings by a very unusual vocalist and for the time especially um, this this was early to mid 60s I think this came out very unusual vocalist is an understatement Um, so this album was beloved by such figures as Liberace who after having a photo session with someone who had this album actually took the copy 
for himself. <laughs> or Frank Sinatra, who allegedly bought 10 copies of this album and gave it out to his friends. Wow. Um, I'm just going to play this, and I think you'll be able to see what the big deal was about this one and why it probably didn't get as famous as I think it should have. I don't know why But I'm feeling so sad I long to try something I've never had Never had no kissing Oh, what I've been missing Lover man, oh, where can you be? The night is cold And I'm so all alone I'd give my soul Just to call you my own Got a moon above me But no one to love me Lover man, oh where can you be? I've heard it said So where does the unusual part come in? Well the unusual part is that as a totally straight-laced album of love songs Sung by a man to a man Interesting. From the mid-60s. And I'll tell you what, um, Modern Harmonic, I believe, did the reissue of this, which is, they're a subset of Sunday's records. And I heard this, I was just browsing their website because they were having a sale. I saw this, I was like, what's the deal with this? And I listened to it, and I was legit, like, tearing up over this. Because just having that, like, I've heard, like, queer novelty stuff from queer magazines from this time period and like even that is just there's no sensitivity to it at all there's a lot about you know like especially pre-stonewall there there just wasn't a lot of pride in being gay so hearing something like this where i actually they interviewed the singer and you can find interviews online he's not gay i don't really think any of the production team was but they just had this idea and was like there's an audience for this and they don't have it and hearing, like, there are obviously tons of queer musicians now, and there have been for a long time, but hearing someone, even if they weren't named on the album, being able to be openly queer in this, like, really straight-laced, like, Sinatra-esque style is super moving to me. And honestly, if you have a weak stomach, skip, like, 15 seconds ahead. But not a lot gets me, like, really going, if you know what I'm saying. Mm. But hearing this, like queer like affirmation of love from this time period sung in this just super straight ahead style and i know it's old and i know Mm -hmm. just like imagining the kinds of people who would listen to this like and the the sort of danger you'd be in if you were if this was even found in your record collection by the wrong person like it's just a super it's it's just a super moving album to me in a lot of ways in like a romantic sense but also just in like a pride sense and just all that stuff it's it's really cool stuff yeah. You know, I'd, I'd recommend the whole thing. I don't, the, musically it's well played. I like the singer's voice too. I mean, it's not like totally Sinatra level stuff, mm-hmm. but it's good stuff. And especially for that perspective from that time period, you know, it just, you get, you get the old production, you get it all, you know, it's really cool. I got to listen to that. 
Yeah, really sounds do. good. It's it's super enjoyable, definitely. So what do, what's yours, Michael? Well, this is Thurston Moore playing a twelve string acoustic guitar over some Bernie Sanders uh, <laughs> audio clips. If you want to be invigorated, uh, something to get you motivated, this is the uh, this is the thing for you. Definitely not one of the Stranger Things Thurston Moore has done. No, and and I think this kind of comes off of like you know how everybody during the uh, primaries was like listening to Bernie Sanders lo-fi. I feel like this is like kind of the the next step and it's something I'm going to be listening to for a while now. You have to think about it and you have to feel it in your guts. I believe from the bottom of my heart that it is vitally important for those of us who hold different views to be able to engage in a civil discourse. It is easy to go out and talk to people who agree with you, but it is harder, but not less important for us to try and communicate with those who do not agree with us on every issue. We live in the wealth The guitar's really pretty. Yeah, I was, I was gonna say that's that's just a super like good instrumental. Yeah. Barring even the the vocal element, you know, but I think yeah. I think it does work uh, pretty well. I think it's pretty successful. I think, it, yeah, I think it's really good, and you know, it's just something you know. It, he does touch in on, of course, like healthcare and you know partisan stuff, but like I think you could listen to this and just you know, I really think that guy is one of the best speakers of our time, and just hearing the candor in his voice really gets you pumped up. Yeah. So that that's just a nice thing for anybody who's you know having first week of classes back, you're worried about the semester. Listen to Bernie to pump you up. Yeah, that's a really, it's it's like a pump up song, but it's a really just soothing. Like, mm-hmm. you can just kind of marinate in that a little bit. I love primitive guitar, mm-hmm. like American primitive guitar, and that's kind of what he's pulling from with that style. You know, we got to get a twelve string boys. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah. twelve strings, twelve strings, uh, twelve string acoustics specifically, mm-hmm. just sound super awesome all the time. Yeah, I mean, so that's. Basically it for this episode. Season 7 premiere. Season 7 premiere. Um, But we do have one last final segment. Um, And this is going to require some setup that you won't hear necessarily, but we're just going to take a little break and uh, do our thing. Um, But this, uh, so if it's not known yet, and it probably isn't, um, the three of us are actually a band called kindness texas which was alluded to earlier in the episode um and we figured you know we're a band we have to practice anyway so why not do our own play out songs at the end of the episodes so we're gonna you know we're gonna do our classic outro and then after that you're not gonna hear some pre-recorded bs you're gonna hear real live in the studio magic from kindness texas Covering a little foreigner, <laughs> which I know everyone will appreciate. So, season seven. Season seven. We're back. We are 
as good as ever. Uh, <laughs> that was a good episode. I think it was a pretty good episode, and it's just going to get better from here, folks. So, uh, as always, good, good night, night, Detroit. Detroit. Welcome to K. <laughs> Welcome to K. Shit K. S. H. T. Your local classic rock station. Up next, we got some foreigner for you. <laughs>